You are now tuning in to the Own the Build podcast. Join Sealing's very own Paul Hemming, where each week he interviews experts from the world of construction and asks all the important questions around intelligent construction management. Hello and welcome to episode 123, 123 of the Own the Build podcast with me, Paul Hemming. As per the last few weeks or months now, we're continuing our free download giveaway. And today I've linked an ebook, which I personally wrote a couple of years, years ago, called The Implications and Opportunities of a Design and Build Contract. I wrote this ebook after working for a subcontractor, and it talks to both main and subcontractors about how to negotiate key clauses, what DMB means in terms of your actual responsibilities, and most importantly, I felt at least, was how to respond to comments during the design phase from the design team, which naturally are not in accordance with the contract because that's how they roll. If you're working on a DMB contract of any sort, I think this will be really valuable to you. So go to the podcast description download it let me know what you think let me know if you uh, want a follow-up or anything like that i'd be happy to hear from you in the studio today we have got again a close friend of mine christopher barber who is only a few weeks ago we completed a hat trick with sarah fox but we're now on a hat trick of christopher barber episode so chris is the co-founder at c-link and prosper the business that i work at as as you guys all know from listening to the show, we've created software that connects main contractors and subcontractors. It saved main contractors 600 hours of quantity surveying time. While I front up the main contractor side, bizarrely, considering I used to be a subcontractor, Chris fronts up the subcontractor side and is very passionate about making subcontractors better. Chris is a bit of a champion for subbies and really talks a lot about how they can improve the way that they work, the way that they tender, and the way that they run their businesses. Chris, I've, I'm blathering on, as I always do. How's it going, mate? It's great to be back. Thanks for having me, mate. I'm all good. Sun is shining. The, the sun, sun is, is shining. shining. And you got the hat trick, mate. I mean, it's uh, you're in highly, highly impressive uh, company with Sarah <laughs> Fox being uh, the, the second person to a hat trick of Own the Build episode. So before we jump into today's, to today's topic, which is going to be really interesting topic because it's something that you've spent a lot of time on talk to us remind the listeners who don't know who you are or don't know your experience who haven't listened to the last two chris episodes tut 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 talk to us about your experience and uh, time in construction yeah first of all don't uh don't listen to episode one from myself it wasn't the sexiest of episodes that's for sure oh but... come on mate <laughs> Don't <laughs> be too hard on yourself. But yeah, so just about my background, started quantity surveying in 2006 at tender age of 17, um, working for a precast design and build specialist, one of the market leaders there, um, built really good foundations for myself um, and then decided to move to London um, to start main contracting uh, in a high-end residential game, Paul. So polar opposites in terms of where we are in the industry between the two businesses and obviously working from a go from a subcontractor to a main contractor and then we started the business c-link uh, construction link back in 2015 and then having been working there now for about seven years we've built up some really great relationships and knowledge eight years come eight on years. 2015 to 2023 it you're was... a qs and so you can't even count <laughs> Pathetic. it feels like seven no i mean we've built up some amazing relationships and i feel like my knowledge base just working closely with subcontractors 
and having worked with developers over the past eight years has really kind of excelled where I was back in 2006. Yeah, I would completely agree with that from my perspective as well. It's given, you know, speaking to developers, main contractors, subcontractors, you really get a consultants a, a much better flavor for the industry rather than where I was before. It was very tunnel vision, subby, subby, subby. But yeah, no, I completely agree with that. And you have grown immeasurably since we've started working together, Chris. <laughs> I'd say that's largely because you work with me, but that's a different story. So today's show, the title of it is An Open Letter to the Construction Minister. Now, I've read this open letter to the construction minister and we're going to get to that. This is something that you've written, something which is close to your heart and close to the hearts of many subcontractors. We're going to be talking about, we're in difficult economic times today. Talk to me about construction insolvencies. It's quite depressing, to be honest, if you take a look at the numbers, Paul. Last year, 4,332 businesses went into administration insolvency. Um, In 2022. Yeah, in 2022, uh, that's nearly 60% up on last year. It's the highest in over a decade. And as an industry, we're the biggest contributor. We're like a fifth of all insolvencies. Uh, And we're about, I think it's 16% bigger than the next, or or it's actually even more, 27%, sorry, bigger than the next sector, which is like wholesale and retail. And it's just staggering in terms of the numbers. Like it is just always high. If you look at the trends, construction is always the highest contributor. And that's not just because it contributes about 7% GDP. It is the fact that there's obviously something fundamentally wrong with the way we operate. Um, Yeah, just just touching on two stats that just to draw back on what you've said. You said we contribute to 7% of GDP. It's always roughly around that number. And then you said we contributed to 20% of insolvencies as a sector. Is that correct? Am I understanding that correctly? Yes, correct. Yeah. Yeah. So in short, something is awry. <laughs> yeah. We double what we should be, right? In, th- in theory. There's something Triple. Wrong. Triple. Yeah, triple. Blimey, mate. This your maths today. Oh, yeah. 20, yeah. Shot. Sorry. It's treble. Yeah. Sorry. It's 27. Sorry. I'm thinking, yeah. My maths is off today. Apologies. <laughs> <laughs> off today. <laughs> Unbelievable. Some kind of QS. So, clearly, there's a problem. Insolvencies, particularly now, are on the rise in construction. Talk to me about the impact of late payments and bad debts on insolvencies stupid question perhaps the the thing is with the late payments where who it affects right so let's just say the client pays the main contractor on time and to cash flow the business for the main contractor they have 30-day payment terms like basically credit terms with the subcontractors and then the subcontractors then have credit terms with their suppliers so the main contractor gets paid on time and then for whatever reason, if they can't afford to pay people within that project, that subcontractor gets delayed payments further. They, you know, 30 days is a massive stretcher anyway for most businesses, but they, you know, it's, it's structured in that way that uh, the industry structured that way, right? Any like 14 days, another 30 days on top of that th- original 30 days, so really starts hampering that subcontractor to deliver for that project, but not just that one, all the other projects they've got going on at the same time. So the ripple effect is massive. It's the reason, late payments are the reason why there's such discord in the industry, right? Because you get a late payment from one project, you can't perform on the, that project and then the next project and then the next project. And then you're pissing off a load of your other clients who might be paying on time, but you've got this one bad project that's hampering your ability to deliver for them. 
Yeah, well, you've worked for both main and sub. I've worked for sub. And yes, you know, I never experienced the case where the companies that I were working for were getting paid late. Yes, they were getting paid late, but no, they weren't getting paid late so that it then impacted other projects that we were on. Say we were on 10 projects at once. But I definitely experienced, particularly lower down the chain where I had my installers or someone like that, where they were working on two projects and their other client wasn't paying them. And that impacted us, completely different projects. And they, you can really understand, can't you, just from framing that as you have, you know, the supply chain and, and how it fills our main subcontractor, then subcontractor to installers and suppliers, that the ripple effect of one project being poor is not just that project. It echoes out across other projects and impacts other projects. And you can it kind of helps you to understand, doesn't it? The reason why so many projects are late, so many projects, you know, are over budget because so many things go wrong. There's so many things at play. It's not just the fact that it's such a complex and challenging industry. That is just a further complexity that is thrown in. So you have first written an open letter to the construction minister and you have second included within that letter a petition. Talk to us about what that petition is. Yeah, so I had a lot of the content we push out how uh, the, the narrative that we that I believe in is helping subcontractors helping the industry just be better right and I was really focusing in on the problem of late payment like how can we do it how can we make it better and there's uh, I got a bit of inspiration by a an ex rugby international Crikey, I thought you were going to say one of your exes no. <laughs> <laughs> no, uh, which one <laughs> it, you know them all Paul you know them all so his name's David Pocock. Uh, he's an Australian rugby player, an amazing player, uh, even if it was a, a demise of English rugby. But he was standing in Australian government saying, look, we need to protect subcontractor payments. And that really started me thinking, what can we do to make a change? Like, sick for talking about it. Let's try and do something about this situation. And it got me thinking, the way that it could work for everybody involved in, in uh, construction, and I think there's so many benefits as well off the back of it, which I'll talk to you about later, is project bank accounts. Now, how the project bank account would work is controlling the money basically from the client into the main contractor's pocket and then into the subcontractor's pocket. If you solve that flow, in my mind, we would solve a lot of problems that we've got in construction and improve a lot of... Um... And we'll, co- we'll come to it because there's, there's you know pros and cons of all of these things. I guess before we get into the detail of that, what does the petition say? What's the crux of the petition? So the crux of the petition are, you know, this is the problem. This is where we're at today. We've got an extortionate amount of insolvencies happening. It's forecasted to grow to 6,000 insolvencies in construction this year, up from 4,000 last year. We're 65% of the industry, and it's probably more, but the recent research, 65% are reporting late payments. And the average time is 75 to 90 days to receive payment. It's just, it's an insane amount, right? And they're forecasting the bad debt in the industry to go from 300 to 1 billion by the end of this year. So there's got to be something we can do. We can't, we can't just sit here and just let that happen. Surely there's something else we can do. And, and on top of all that is the mental health impact this has on the individuals, like the SMEs that I'm working with, I've got a bit of a personal touch on this, you know, working with these people day in, day out, understand how it impacts them mentally. And whilst I was doing the research, you know, I found that 90% of business owners said that late payment had affected 
their mental health and mental well-being and 10 percent of them con- consider well, i'm to- sure you can you can attest to that i can we run a business there's been times when we've been waiting for payment and it's it's hell, isn't it? it um, it's not. It's not. It's uh, it's a very uncomfortable place to be, you know. And where what these people are doing, you know, they're doing it for their families, right? And it kind of made me a bit passionate about it, quite emotive behind it, as well as the logical side of it for what I set out beforehand. So I understand that there is this challenge, Christopher. Everyone listening understands it. What I do not understand is specifically what your petition says. So the petition says that, so I set out the problem, right? I've, I've, I've uh, pulled on the heartstrings there, right? And what I'm suggesting is uh, mandatory project bank accounts on all construction projects over uh, a million pounds threshold and over. You know, I've chosen that as a, as a one million, as a, as a kind of discussion point in um, Scotland, the government, they're doing about uh, on public contracts, they're using PBAs on about 500,000 plus. I think that could be a bit restrictive in the private sector uh, in terms of because of the volume that's going through. But I picked a million because I've worked on million pound contracts when I was maker attracted and it felt like you'd have the right resource to administer a project bank account if you, okay. if you yeah. So it's more of a, a good feel on that size of project that from my experience that you could administer a PBA. And so your petition and your open letter to the construction minister effectively says construction insolvencies are growing through the roof. They're three times any other sector. One of the primary reasons for that is a lack of payment. One of the primary reasons for a lack of payment is that it then impacts mental health. And by the way, construction is way out in front as well for suicides and all those other things that are connected to that as a result so it all ties together and your solution to this is that you uh, will be obliged to have a project bank account on any construction project over one million pounds what we will do right after this break chris is we will talk about what a project bank account is and actually how it would work for the developer for the main contractor and the subcontractor the pros the cons and all the bits around it but you have set the scene for exactly why we should and now i'm looking forward to being convinced on the project bank account and your thesis there as well but we'll do that right after this break hello it's me again i wanted to share a quick story with you on why i co-founded ceiling with my best mate chris chris and i we're both qs's and this is going to sound sad but one night we were sat in the pub talking about subcontract tendering and we realised the industry had a problem. Number one, procurement was too paper-based. Number two, it was too time-consuming, and every QS had their own unique way of doing things. And number three, perhaps most importantly, if you want to competitively tender, you need to know hundreds of the best subcontractors. We simply didn't. That's why we created C-Link. It's software to solve subcontract tendering. We wanted to remove these challenges and help the industry get better. So if you or someone you know tenders with subcontractors, you've got to see our software. Head over to our link, www.get.c-link.com forward slash podcast to find out more. I will include it in the description box. So again, there's no excuses. Now, let's get right back to the show. So I get the impression 
from speaking to you during the break that you're going to be using the acronym PBA quite a lot. So just so it's clear, <laughs> PBA is a project bank account. I know to most people that's probably clear, but I thought I'd clarify. So this part of the show, I want to really understand what a project bank account is because I reckon I could fumble my way through describing what one is. I, I have a picture in my mind what one is, but I have actually never been involved on a project where there is one. So talk to me right now. Explain to a five-year-old, explain to my little five-year-old mind what a project bank account is and exactly how it works, please. Yeah. Um, so I've also not worked on one with it. So oh, here we go. I know people who have. So uh, a good friend of ours, uh, Vinny, who, he, we've talked about it actually in depth because I was talking to him about this idea. But essentially, a project bank account is what it says it is. So the client has a project they set up a bank account that's dedicated to that project. Um, there is some kind of legal uh, mechanism that them and the main contractor have have set up. And essentially, the client has the money. Um, there's an agreed, obviously, agreed value for the project. And the money is designated to f- flow down, essentially, through the first two tranches, if that makes sense. So tranche one will go to the main contractor, and then tranche two will go to the subcontractors. And that's the idea of the mechanism that everyone can see what's being paid, where it's being paid. So Um, just let me jump in there because I always like to exemplify things on the show and also just makes it easier for me to picture it. Let's stick. Let's keep it real simple. Ten million pound project. I'm the developer. You're the main contractor. We'll come to the subcontractors, right? This ten million pound project. Let's say for simple terms, nine hundred nine million is ninety percent is subcontract works. 1 million is main contract works, right? So what you're saying is the developer has their finance and they pop this 10 million pounds into a bank account of which pre-agreed there's a million pounds allocated to main contractor, 9 million pounds to subcontractor. And then as you execute the works, that money gets drawn down, obviously depending on valuation and the like. Is that Correct. Yeah, that's correct. Yeah. Um, whether or not the whole 10 million goes into it straight away is another question because I don't think that's okay. how they would do it necessarily. But the, you need know, to be cash flows that would be produced uh, to kind of forecast what the client might need to put into the account at certain periods. But in short, it gives everyone a bit of certainty uh, from the ring fence. It's absolutely ring fence for that project. So the main contractor, if he gets paid a million pounds, let's just say in month one, he cannot use those funds other than to for, uh, to pay the supply chain, basically, and obviously take their bit of profit on top. But it goes that the mechanisms are all attached, so that that subcontractor has got a guaranteed payment. And um, having spoken with subcontractors a lot over the last seven years or so, been, been deep, deeply discussing with those guys, a guaranteed payment is literally the lifeblood that's all they want a lot of the time is that it's basically cash certainty and then profitability that's how i look at it when i'm speaking to them they're like god they pay on time i want to work small business isn't it cash flow is what you want it's a like you say life but we know it everyone knows it so it's interesting isn't it because you know when you first come across this as a principal this is again i'm going back to my perhaps tunnel vision small-minded subcontractor experience because that is my experience and i as soon as you hear the words project bank accounts a little bit of me thinks oh yeah but the main contractor's not going to want to do that because blah 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 so you know you feel you have that little feeling of anxiety of you're always at the bottom getting stitched but actually 
it's a good thing for the main contractor, isn't it? Because they're actually getting certainty as well. You could argue in exactly the same way the subcontractor is worried the main contractor is going to use money from other projects. No different for a client, right? So in, in some ways, it's really good for the main contractor. Yeah, definitely. I mean, when I was main contracting, there were certain clients that we would say, look, we need an escrow account set up because the risk is too big. You know, they're not from this country. They, you know, they could just decide not to pay or whatever. So to protect them, you would say, like, can we have an escrow account? You know, but let's move that away from not an escrow. Let's have it as a project bank account. And what's the difference between escrow and project bank account? Good question. I'm not, uh, the escrow was, is a guaranteed impartial account between okay. the parties. I don't know the nuances. I couldn't tell but you. But the project bank account is much more about tailoring it for the entire supply chain into the... Yeah, yeah, yeah. that's it. I mean, the escrow was just the, the client paying the main contractor, whereas the project bank account is a bit more, goes down a bit deeper into the supply chain. Okay, and so going back to our example, then, you know, this £10 million example, forget that it's imperfect. It's always going to be imperfect at thinking about this. But we've got this £10 million project. I'm the main contractor on the on the project what are the benefits to me why is it good that i'm on a project with a project bank account i'd say for the main contractor it's them getting paid there's obviously more benefits for the subcontractor and globally as construction as i see it so the main contractor is we've got certainty on payment every single month which they need and from then a subcontractor side it's that payment certainty but if we i'd think i'd look at it as more of a global why we should be doing it so first and foremost right transparency project bank accounts offer full transparency up and down the supply chain between all the key stakeholders and we know that construction is uh can operate in a more of a clandestine way at times and people don't trust each other that's why we've got such uh you know we talk about collaborative approach but you know when you talk in the sme world it's less so Right. And it's because people don't feel like they're being transparent, especially when they're not getting paid. So how is it transparent, though? It depends how you set the contract up. I really see PBAs working quite well on like two stage tenders. I think they would work really, really effectively on two stage tender because, you know, you could have your fee and prelims agreed if you're a main contractor. And then you're like, OK, well, we've got to place 20 subcontractor orders. You know, you can see, you know what those are. You've got your agreed markup and measure on there and the client will be like, there's no need for like closed envelope tenders coming in. You can see, look, I place this order with this contractor. It's a million pounds. You're paying me ten percent. Is that where main contractors may be hesitant? Where sub subcontractors wouldn't, because subcontractors would be like, yeah, it's a million quid. Pay me my million quid. Happy days. But a main contractor might be like, yeah, we had a million quid allocated to this, but we've actually procured it for eight hundred grand or whatever. And then they would have to be transparent with that, or are they? You know, would you actually just say this is my CSA? Yeah, there's a million pounds allocated. Do you see what I mean? Because to some degree, they might think that their advantage is procuring well, tendering well, and getting that price at a better value for them. Is that an area where it might fall down? Possibly, and I think that's one of the drawbacks from where make contractor could see it. But you know, main contractors don't make big margins, right? They, we know that like we've, we've had you've had plenty of people on the podcast and i remember i forgot what episode it was but we're a trillion massive the massive the biggest industry right really one of the biggest industries operating on tiny margins which just doesn't make any sense right i think there would be with with bank accounts and maybe an adjustment in thinking around that of like are we only charging 
five percent or negative five percent of we've we've heard in some crazy cases should it be 10 15 percent whereas then the main contractor's like well i don't need to go and get extra margin elsewhere i could just concentrate on you know the quality time cost i can just concentrate on the q and the t right not the c because i'm getting paid fairly for managing the subcontractor and it's moving it away from the, the shift on the focus on the cost or on the, the quality and the time that it's delivered in I think there would be a general shift in that from a main contracting perspective. Yeah, because what strikes me as really interesting about this, you know, going back to your letter to the construction minister, right? We need all these houses. We need, there's this huge, huge challenge in that regard. And you're writing to the construction minister, effectively on the behalf of, I, the way I would see it, of main and subcontractors. I know you're doing this initially comes from a point of, passion around the subcontractors and and all of the connections that you have there but really it strikes me that the the primary disadvantage of a pba even i'm going to roll with your acronym now is is for the employer and the funder less so the contractor because the contractor gets those things that you've said around certainty but perhaps for the employer they have to fund it in a slightly different way they have to there's like the setup costs around it but it strikes me that for contractors main or sub it's largely a good thing. Yeah, I, I would generally say it's a good thing. I mean, but you know, our industry doesn't like change, right? Really? <laughs> so it does take a new way of thinking, and, and you know, getting spreading this message will probably get to people thinking about actually there might be a different way of doing business than we have been doing for hundreds of years, and still getting the same results, right? There's certain things that people would need to bring in, so like. I think with a PBA, compliance would have to be massively improved. Things like orders, tendering, payment notices, all these things, these mechanisms that we've got in contracts would have to be executed correctly. So just a general leveling up of the industry. That makes sense We're doing things the way we should be doing them, not half-assed on a a back of a fag packet, right? We're doing these things properly, right? That's first and foremost, I think compliance has to be upgraded. Um, yeah, no, it's, it's it's all of this is really interesting stuff. It kind of puts a bit of a spring in my step just thinking about it. So I was doing some research on project bank accounts and so on, right? and like where in in preparation for this. And in 2014, cabinet office announced over five billion pounds worth of construction projects were going to be paid through project bank accounts, and that included Crossrail, right? And the reason they said that, and this just wholly supports your theory. This is a quote from the cabinet office it says to win the global race we must support the smaller suppliers who are the lifeblood of our economy and project bank accounts is the way that we as a government see the way that a way to do that particularly in construction so i think that you're very much onto something just paint a picture i guess of go back to your thought process around you listen to this rugby player, Pocock, talking about it. It's got, it got you thinking about I know you love talking about rugby anyway, but we're not going to spin off into rugby as I know you'd like to. But you listen to him and you start thinking, God, we, there's got to be something we can do to change it. And you end up on project bank accounts. What are the alternatives? What were the other things that you looked at and thought, no, that's not quite right or this isn't quite right? Well, there was, um, <laughs> there was this thing called... Um, the prod, uh, prompt payment charter. I was, I looked around, obviously, just thinking, what is there? And this prompt payment charter was, 
it's a bit it's a bit of old boys sat around a table thinking, oh, what can we do? Yeah, we'll come up with this prompt payment charter. Uh, being polite, it means cool in the SME world. There's nothing in there that is actually it's great. Put something on a piece of paper. Does that mean they're actually going to do it? And I think one person got kicked off it and then had to come back and then managed to get back onto the pay, prompt payment charter. It, they just bits of paper don't do anything. Uh, an electronic mechanism that everyone's accountable for will make a difference. And you know we can we can write up what we want. Construction app, Paul, very good example. Some lovely terms in there. If someone don't want to pay you. You're going to have to go jump through a lot of hoops to try and get paid. And probably it isn't worth you spending the money on those legal... Um... But this isn't going to stop that. Having a project bank account is not going to stop there being a dispute. But what it is going to stop is someone saying, yeah, even though you've won that dispute, I haven't got any money anyway. See you later. Yeah. I would argue a little bit. To dispute, I think you make a good point on. Um, but what I would say is all the things that go along with executing the project bank account, like I said, with improved compliance, orders, tenders, payment notices, applications, all these things being done to the correct standard and high quality standard would mean there's naturally less disputes because, you know, you're, the client's seeing where that money's going. If you're, not, if you're not spending that money to the right subcontractor because something's gone wrong, it's going to be a quick, it's going to be alarm bells, right? So you're thinking, right. I need to be tight with everything. And also then the subcontractor is going to keep up their end of the bargain. I'm not saying subcontractors are perfect, but if they know they're going to get paid uh, for this project, they're going to perform for it, right? So if we go back to you as a main contractor, right? You get put on a project or you're at tender stage as a main contractor. I know maybe you would have come in when it was actually secure, but let's just like you're a main contractor and your client says to you, on this job, we're going to do, we're going to do things right there's all of these problems on my previous project and we're going to do a project bank account. What would your, honestly, ref, reflecting back, what do you think your gut instinct would have been? Would have been like, oh, what the hell's that? Or how? what would your view on it be? Um, you know what? When we talked about, I didn't know what an escrow was until I joined uh, the my main contracting days. I, I just thought, well, that makes sense, doesn't it? Like having the money, just it's there. We, we're going to get it. We just got to keep up our end of the bargain, right? Just got to draw down on it, yeah. We do, like it's it's simple. Like we never, I never went into a job thinking, no, don't want to keep up my end of the bargain and not do it right. That's so true. Yeah. So yeah. It, it was. It's just better that you think. Well, the money's secured. It's there. You know, we've do, we've gone through this process. It's hard to kind of take myself back to those days, but. I definitely wouldn't have, you know me, I'm an open-minded person. I would not, I would have kind of jumped at the chance to do something a bit differently, to be honest. I, I, that, that echoes, I think you would have done. Do you think there's people listening to this who'll be thinking, what? Bad idea. Yeah, probably the people who are still stuck on Word and Excel, right? Like, <laughs> you know, the industry, we talked about, like, you know, that maybe there's an anti-competitive edge, particularly on the low margins main contractors are on. That, that would think, oh, I'm not, I'm not too sure about this because I make my money through cloak and dagger kind of. Under well, not even that. No, you make your money through intelligently value engineering. Do I want to share that with but the you, client? Yeah, yeah, you can. But I mean, it, it shouldn't take that out. The project bank account shouldn't take that out just because the client can see you making money. You've, you've agreed a contract value, however, however you set it up, and you're executing it. So I don't, yeah, there is that. People might go, oh, well, God, you made a load of money on that account, on that project, I want money back. But where I think the biggest pushback would be is um, how, you know, the industry isn't very agile. 
They're not particularly, it's quite slow. I mean, 21 out of 22 industries in technology uptake. There would be a leveling up of taking onboarding technology to make them more uh, efficient, moving away from old systems that aren't set up to run construction projects. I think you would have to take on more tech to kind of make you, yourselves efficient and productive. And I think that's where the main pushback would be. Or what those, it's those change people. management, isn't it? It's like, I've never done that before. Do I really want to? How do I do? That's kind of the point I was making when I was asking you, what would you have done as a... Because pro- I reckon I'd have been like, well, what's the, what the hell's a project bank account? What's, what's this that I've got now? Another, another thing on my to-do list or to work out, I guess would have maybe been my instinct. And it's just change management, isn't it? You're, you think the biggest pushback is that? Yeah, I mean, you'll think you think you're thinking that, and I would have thought that you know, getting hundreds of emails each week, uh, still using fragmented systems that don't talk to each other, loads of administrative work on top of your day to day, right? You think, God, I've got to administer now a project bank account. But if you can take those pain points away with, through tech, then executing a project bank account could be fairly straightforward. And do you think about the knock on effect? You know, go back to what you said initially one project stops paying what does that do to the rest of the industry the knock-on effect is very real and go back to your uh, 90 or what 65 percent of reporting late payment all of these insolvencies it totally makes sense my final question for you mate is really interesting conversation and i highly endorse the work and effort that you've gone to around this petition and around this letter because it's all in the name of almost as you said there going to a project and holding up your side of the bargain. That's what almost everyone wants to do. So it's only to help the industry be a better place. What are your actual hopes for this petition? So uh, obviously we've talked around transparency and compliance. I just want people to understand. I mean, I'd love it to be implemented, right? But there's a long road ahead. We've got to start bringing this into discussion. That's I want it to be roundtable discussion with the powers that be, right? With people start actually talking about this, and maybe it start getting adopted on private projects. That actually, it's not about it's just for these public contracts. It could be now. Actually, I, you know, I'm a high net worth individual. I've got a development I want to do. I'm going to do it for a project bank account. I want it to do the do the right way, not the traditional way of. Of, of how it's been done and it ending up in a mess, actually offering security to the, the main contractor and everyone else down downstream could make my project really attractive. I could attract really high quality subcontractors. But in, in how I really do see it working as well is it kind of people thinking about what a project bank account could do for the economy as and the mental health of everyone within it. And I feel like, obviously, with the improved compliance, the transparency, lenders, right, with, you, know, you can see lending stagnating, projects being put on hold, project, uh, uh, funding being pulled. If they had this mechanism in place, they could really start looking at it. Well, actually, the risk for this project is diminished quite a bit because we've got control over how the funds are done. We've got a visual on how that sub- the main contractor is performing. Their, their compliance is, is high, so we can lend at a better rate, better rates, more lending, more projects, stimulating the economy. Like- yeah, no, I, that makes, and actually for lenders who are often worried about, you know, making track to go and bust, subcontract, then having to pick up the pieces, the pieces that you're picking up are far less fragmented and shattered all over the floor if you are picking it up from a project bank account where you've had genuine control and oversight so 
I think that it is a good idea, Chris, and I think that I will sign your petition. And I also think that what I will do is put into the uh, podcast description a link to the petition and a link to the letter. So if you guys think it's a good idea, we're going to be probably talking about this quite a lot now as Chris is my business partner. And I, I think the most important thing is recognizing the the need for change really isn't it and that's what you've done it's actually can we do something to make this place better and almost every single person who has ever reached out to me about listening to this podcast says the thing that i like is you know a vision to like how it's really understanding what's going on in the industry talking about it openly and candidly and then you know making it a better place and almost everyone i've spoken to in fact everyone i've spoken to listen to the show wants the is proud of the industry that we work in recognizes the challenges and wants it to be better so i am going to put that petition in the podcast description and i very much recommend everyone signs it chris thanks for the energy that you put into this letter and uh, thanks for coming on the show the hat trick is complete and i think i'm never going to invite you back on ever again mate. <laughs> thanks for having me mate i'm here for change right we're all positive people we want to make this industry better and this isn't the last you've heard of from me paul expect well, another no, it one is, to... it is, I, invite, I invite you on the show so i'm not gonna make i'm in control of the invites so we'll see about that anyway mate great to have you on and i will speak to you very soon everybody speak to you next week cheers chris cheers. Bye-bye.